Chapter 10 Dragon Now? I suppose so. It has to be in order, Colonel Graff. Armies don't move because a commander says, I suppose it's time to attack. I'm not a commander. I'm a teacher of little children. Colonel, sir, I admit I was on you. I admit I was a pain in the ass. But it worked. Everything worked just like you wanted it to. The last few weeks, Ender's even been... Happy? Content. He's doing well. His mind is keen. His play is excellent. Young as he is, we've never had a boy better prepared for command. Usually they go at eleven, but at nine and a half, he's top flight. Well, yes. For a few minutes there, it actually occurred to me to wonder what kind of a man would heal a broken child of some of his hurt just so he could throw him back into battle again. A little private moral dilemma. Please overlook it. I was tired. Saving the world, remember? Call him in. We're doing what must be done, Colonel Graff. Come on, Anderson. You're just dying to see how he handles all those rigged games I had you work out. That's a pretty low thing to... So I'm a low kind of guy. Come on, Major. We're both the scum of the earth. I'm dying to see how he handles them, too. After all, our lives depend on him doing real well, nay? You're not starting to use the boys' slang, are you? Call him in, Major. I'll dump the rosters into his files and give him his security system. What we're doing to him isn't all bad, you know. He gets his privacy again. Isolation, you mean? The loneliness of power. Go call him in. Yes, sir. I'll be back with him in fifteen minutes. Goodbye. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I hope you had fun. I hope you had a nice, nice time being happy, Ender. It might be the last time in your life. Welcome, little boy. Your dear Uncle Graf has plans for you. Ender knew what was happening from the moment they brought him in. Everyone expected him to go commander early. Perhaps not this early, but he had topped the standings almost continuously for three years. No one else was remotely close to him, and his evening practices had become the most prestigious group in the school. There were some who wondered why the teachers had waited this long. He wondered which army they'd give him. Three commanders were graduating soon, including Petra, but it was beyond hope for them to give him Phoenix Army. No one ever succeeded to command of the same army he was in when he was promoted. Anderson took him first to his new quarters. That sealed it. Only commanders had private rooms. Then he had him fitted for new uniforms and a new flash suit. He looked on the forms to discover the name of his army. Dragon, said the form. There was no dragon army. I've never heard of a dragon army, Ender said. That's because there hasn't been a dragon army in four years. We discontinued the name because there is a superstition about it. No dragon army in the history of the battle school ever won even a third of its games. It got to be a joke. Well, why are you reviving it now? We had a lot of extra uniforms to use up. Graf sat at his desk, looking fatter and wearier than the last time Ender had seen him. He handed Ender his hook, the small box that allowed commanders to go where they wanted in the battle room during practices. Some said they worked magnetically, some said it was gravity. Many times during his evening practice sessions, Ender had wished that he had a hook, instead of having to rebound off walls to get where he wanted to go. Now that he'd got quite deft at maneuvering without one, here it was. 
It only works during your regularly scheduled practice sessions, Anderson pointed out. Since Ender already planned to have extra practices, it meant the hook would only be useful some of the time. It also explained why so many commanders never held extra practices. They depended on the hook, and it wouldn't do anything for them during the extra times. If they felt that the hook was their authority, their power over the other boys, then they were even less likely to work without it. That's an advantage I'll have over some of my enemies, Ender thought. Graf's official welcome speech sounded bored and over-rehearsed. Only at the end did he begin to sound interested in his own words. We're doing something unusual with Dragon Army. I hope you don't mind. We've assembled a new army by advancing the equivalent of an entire launch course early and delaying the graduation of quite a few advanced students. I think you'll be pleased with the quality of your soldiers. I hope you are, because we're forbidding you to transfer any of them. No trades? asked Ender. It was how commanders always shored up their weak points, by trading around. None. You see, you've been conducting your extra practice sessions for three years now. You have a following. Many good soldiers would put unfair pressure on their commanders to trade them into your army. We've given you an army that can, in time, be competitive. We have no intention of letting you dominate unfairly. What if I've got a soldier I just can't get along with? Get along with him. Graf closed his eyes. Anderson stood up, and the interview was over. Dragon was assigned the colors gray, orange, gray. Ender changed into his flash suit, then followed the ribbons of light until he came to the barracks that contained his army. They were there already, milling around near the entrance. Ender took charge at once. Bunking will be arranged by seniority. Veterans to the back of the room, newest soldiers to the front. It was the reverse of the usual pattern, and Ender knew it. He also knew that he didn't intend to be like many commanders, who never even saw the younger boys because they were always in the back. As they sorted themselves out according to their arrival dates, Ender walked up and down the aisle. Almost thirty of his soldiers were new, straight out of their launch group, completely inexperienced in battle. Some were even underage. The ones nearest the door were pathetically small. Ender reminded himself that that's how he must have looked to Bonzo Madrid when he first arrived. Still, Bonzo had had only one underage soldier to cope with. Not one of the veterans belonged to Ender's elite practice group. None had ever been a toon leader. None, in fact, was older than Ender himself which meant that even his veterans didn't have more than 18 months' experience. Some he didn't even recognize they had made so little impression. They recognized Ender, of course, since he was the most celebrated soldier in the school, and some, Ender could see, resented him. At least they did me one favor. None of my soldiers is older than me. As soon as each soldier had a bunk, Ender ordered them to put on their flash suits and come to practice. We're on the morning schedule, straight to practice after breakfast. Officially, you have a free hour between breakfast and practice. We'll see what happens after I find out how good you are. After three minutes, though many of them still weren't dressed, he ordered them out of the room. But I'm naked, said one boy. Dress faster next time. Three minutes from first call to running out the door. That's the rule this week. Next week, the rule is two minutes. Move. 
It would soon be a joke in the rest of the school that Dragon Army was so dumb they had to practice getting dressed. Five of the boys were completely naked, carrying their flash suits as they ran through the corridors. Few were fully dressed. They attracted a lot of attention as they passed open classroom doors. No one would be late again if he could help it. In the corridors leading to the battle room, Ender made them run back and forth in the halls, fast, so they were sweating a little while the naked ones got dressed. Then he led them to the upper door, the one that opened into the middle of the battle room, just like the doors in the actual games. Then he made them jump up and use the ceiling handholds to hurl themselves into the room. Assemble on the far wall, he said, as if you were going for the enemy's gate. They revealed themselves as they jumped, four at a time, through the door. Almost none of them knew how to establish a direct line to the target. And when they reached the far wall, few of the new ones had any idea how to catch on or even control their rebounds. The last boy out was a small kid, obviously underage. There was no way he was going to reach the ceiling handhold. You can use a side handhold if you want, Ender said. Go suck on it said the boy. He took a flying leap, touched the ceiling handhold with a fingertip, and hurtled through the door with no control at all, spinning in three directions at once. Ender tried to decide whether to like the little kid for refusing to take a concession or to be annoyed at his insubordinate attitude. They finally got themselves together along the wall. Ender noticed that without exception they had lined up with their heads still in the direction that had been up in the corridor. So, Ender deliberately took hold of what they were treating as a floor, and dangled from it upside down. Why are you upside down, soldier? he demanded. Some of them started to turn the other way. Attention! They held still. I said, why are you upside down? No one answered. They didn't know what he expected. I said, why does every one of you have his feet in the air and his head toward the ground? Finally, one of them spoke. Sir, this is the direction we were in coming out of the door. Well, what difference is that supposed to make? What difference does it make what the gravity was back in the corridor? Are we going to fight in the corridor? Is there any gravity here? No, sir. No, sir. From now on, you forget about gravity before you go through that door. The old gravity is gone, erased. Understand me? Whatever your gravity is when you get to the door, remember, the enemy's gate is down. Your feet are toward the enemy gate. Up is toward your own gate. North is that way. South is that way. East is that way. West is what way? They pointed. (laughs) That's what I expected. The only process you've mastered is the process of elimination, and the only reason you've mastered that is because you can do it in the toilet. What was the circus I saw out here? Did you call that forming up? Did you call that flying? Now everybody, launch and form up on the ceiling. Right now, move! As Ender expected, a good number of them instinctively launched, not toward the wall with the door in it, but toward the wall that Ender had called north, the direction that had been up when they were in the corridor. Of course, they quickly realized their mistake, but too late. They had to wait to change things until they had rebounded off the north wall. In the meantime, Ender was mentally grouping them into slow learners and fast learners. The littlest kid, the one who had been last out of the door, was the first to arrive at the correct wall, 
and he caught himself adroitly. They had been right to advance him. He'd do well. He was also cocky and rebellious, and probably resented the fact that he had been one of the ones Ender had sent naked through the corridors. You, Ender said, pointing at the small one. Which way is down? Toward the enemy door. The answer was quick. It was also surly, as if to say, Okay, okay, now get on with the important stuff. Name, kid? This soldier's name is Bean, sir. Get that for size or for brains? The other boys laughed a little. Well, Bean, you're right on to things. Now listen to me, because this matters. Nobody's going to get through that door without a good chance of getting hit. In the old days, you had ten, twenty seconds before you even had to move. Now, if you aren't already streaming out of the door when the enemy comes out, you're frozen. Now, what happens when you're frozen? You, you can't move, one of the boys said. That's what frozen means, Ender said. But what happens to you? It was Bean, not intimidated at all, who answered intelligently. You keep going in the direction you started in, at the speed you were going when you were flashed. That's true. You five, there on the end, move! Startled, the boys looked at each other. Ender flashed them all. The next five, move! They moved. Ender flashed them too, but they kept moving, heading toward the walls. The first five, though, were drifting uselessly near the main group. Look at those so-called soldiers, Ender said. Their commander ordered them to move, and now look at them. Not only are they frozen, they're frozen right here, where they can get in the way. While the others, because they moved when they were ordered, are frozen down there, plugging up the enemy's lanes, blocking the enemy's vision. I imagine that about five of you have understood the point of this, and no doubt Bean is one of them. Right, Bean? He didn't answer at first. Ender looked at him until he said, Right, sir. Then what is the point? When you order to move, move fast. So if you get iced, you'll bounce around instead of getting in the way of your own army's operations. Excellent. At least I have one soldier who can figure things out. Ender could see resentment growing in the way the other soldiers shifted their weight and glanced at each other, the way they avoided looking at Bean. Why am I doing this? What does this have to do with being a good commander, making one boy the target of all the others? Just because they did it to me, why should I do it to him? Ender wanted to undo his taunting of the boy, wanted to tell the others that the little one needed their help and friendship more than anyone else. But of course, Ender couldn't do that. Not on the first day. On the first day, even his mistakes had to look like part of a brilliant plan. Ender hooked himself nearer the wall and pulled one of the boys away from the others. Keep your body straight, said Ender. He rotated the boy in midair so his feet pointed toward the others. When the boy kept moving his body, Ender flashed him. The others laughed. How much of his body could you shoot? Ender asked a boy directly under the frozen soldier's feet. Mostly all I can hit is his feet. Ender turned to the boy next to him. What about you? Uh, I can see his body. And you? A boy a little farther down the wall answered. All of him. Feet aren't very big. Not much protection. Ender pushed the frozen soldier out of the way. Then he doubled his legs under him as if he were kneeling in midair and flashed his own legs. 
Immediately, the legs of his suit went rigid, holding them in that position. Ender twisted himself in the air so that he knelt above the other boys. What do you see? he asked. A lot less, they said. Ender thrust his gun between his legs. I can see fine, he said, and proceeded to flash the boys directly under him. Stop me, he shouted. Try and flash me. They finally did, but not until he had flashed more than a third of them. He thumbed his hook and thought himself and every other frozen soldier. Now, which way is the enemy's gate? he said. Down. And what is our attack position? Some started to answer with words, but Bean answered by flipping himself away from the wall with his legs doubled under him, straight toward the opposite wall, flashing between his legs all the way. For a moment, Ender wanted to shout at him, to punish him. Then he caught himself, rejected the ungenerous impulse. Why should I be so angry at this little boy? Is Bean the only one who knows how? Ender shouted. Immediately, the entire army pushed off toward the opposite wall, kneeling in the air, firing between their legs, shouting at the top of their lungs. There may be a time, thought Ender, where this is exactly the strategy I'll need. Forty screaming boys in an unbalancing attack. When they were all at the other side, Ender called for them to attack him all at once. Yes, thought Ender, not bad. They gave me an untrained army with no excellent veterans, but at least it isn't a crop of fools. I can work with this. When they were assembled again, laughing and exhilarated, Ender began the real work. He had them freeze their legs in the kneeling position. Now, what are your legs good for in combat? Nothing, said some boys. Bean doesn't think so, said Ender. They're the best way to push off walls. Right, Ender said. The other boys started to complain that pushing off walls was movement, not combat. There is no combat without movement, Ender said. They fell silent and hated Bean a little more. Now, with your legs frozen like this, can you push off walls? No one dared answer for fear they'd be wrong. Bean? asked Ender. I never tried it, but maybe if you faced the wall and doubled over at the waist. Right, but wrong. Watch me. My back's to the wall, legs are frozen. Since I'm kneeling, my feet are against the wall. Usually when you push off, you have to push downward, so you string out your body behind you like a string bean, right? Laughter. But with my legs frozen, I use pretty much the same force, pushing downward from the hips and thighs. Only now it pushes my shoulders and my feet backward, shoots out my hips, and when I come loose, my body's tight. Nothing stringing out behind me. Watch this. Ender forced his hips forward, which shot him away from the wall. In a moment, he readjusted his position and was kneeling, legs downward, rushing toward the opposite wall. He landed on his knees, flipped over on his back, and jackknifed off the wall in another direction. Shoot me! he shouted. Then he set himself spinning in the air as he took a course roughly parallel to the boys along the far wall. Because he was spinning, they couldn't get a continuous beam on him. He thawed his suit and hooked himself back to them. That's what we're working on for the first half hour today. Build up some muscles you didn't know you had. Learn to use your legs as a shield and control your movements so you can get that spin. Spinning doesn't do any good up close, but far away, they can't hurt you if you're spinning. 
At that distance, the beam has to hit the same spot for a couple of moments, and if you're spinning, it can't happen. Now freeze yourself and get started. Are you going to assign lanes? asked a boy. No, I'm not going to assign lanes. I want you bumping into each other and learning how to deal with it all the time, except when we're practicing formations, and then I'll usually have you bump into each other on purpose. Now move! When he said move, they moved. Ender was the last one out after practice, since he stayed to help some of the slower ones improve on technique. They'd had good teachers, but the inexperienced soldiers fresh out of their launch groups were completely helpless when it came to doing two or three things at the same time. It was fine to practice jackknifing with frozen legs. They had no trouble maneuvering in midair, but to launch in one direction, fire in another, spin twice, rebound with a jackknife off a wall, and come out firing, facing the right direction, that was way beyond them. Drill, drill, drill. That was all Ender would be able to do with them for a while. Strategies and formations were nice, but they were nothing if the soldiers didn't know how to handle themselves in battle. He had to get this army ready now. He was early at being a commander, and the teachers were changing the rules now, not letting him trade, giving him no top-notch veterans. There was no guarantee that they'd give him the usual three months to get his army together before sending them into battle. At least in the evenings he'd have Alai and Shen to help him train his new boys. He was still in the corridor leading out of the battle room when he found himself face to face with little Bean. Bean looked angry. Ender didn't want problems right now. Ho, Bean. Ho, Ender. Pause. Sir, Ender said softly. I know what you're doing, Ender, sir, and I'm warning you. You're warning me? I can be the best man you got, but don't play games with me. Or what? Or I'll be the worst man you got, one or the other. And what do you want, love and kisses? Ender was getting angry now. Bean looked unworried. I want a tune. Ender walked back to him and stood looking down into his eyes. Why should you get a tune? Because I'd know what to do with it. Knowing what to do with a tune is easy, Ender said. It's getting them to do it that's hard. Why would any soldier want to follow a little pinprick like you? They used to call you that, I hear. I hear Bones Madrid still does. I asked you a question, soldier. I'll earn their respect, sir, if you don't stop me. Ender grinned. I'm helping you. Like hell, said Bean. Nobody would notice you except to feel sorry for the little kid, but I made sure they all noticed you today. They'll be watching every move you make. All you have to do to earn their respect now is be perfect. So I don't even get a chance to learn before I'm being judged? Poor kid. Nobody's treating him fair. Ender gently pushed Bean back against the wall. I'll tell you how to get a tune. Prove to me you know what you're doing as a soldier. Prove to me you know how to use other soldiers. And then prove to me that somebody's willing to follow you into battle. Then you'll get your tune, but not bloody well until... Bean smiled. That's fair. If you actually work that way, I'll be a tune leader in a month. Ender reached down and grabbed the front of his uniform and shoved him into the wall. When I say I work a certain way, Bean, then that's the way I work. Bean just smiled. Ender let go of him and walked away. 
When he got to his room, he lay down on his bed and trembled. What am I doing? My first practice session, and I'm already bullying people the way Bonzo did. And Peter, shoving people around, picking on some poor little kid so the others will have somebody they all hate. Sickening. Everything I hated in a commander, and I'm doing it. Is it some law of human nature that you inevitably become whatever your first commander was? I can quit right now if that's so. Over and over he thought of the things he did and said in his first practice with his new army. Why couldn't he talk like he always did in his evening practice group? No authority except excellence. Never had to give orders, just made suggestions. But that wouldn't work, not with an army. His informal practice group didn't have to learn to do things together. They didn't have to develop a group feeling. They never had to learn how to hold together and trust each other in battle. They didn't have to respond instantly to commands. And he could go to the other extreme, too. He could be as lax and incompetent as Rose the Nose, if he wanted. He could make stupid mistakes no matter what he did. He had to have discipline, and that meant demanding and getting quick, decisive obedience. He had to have a well-trained army, and that meant drilling the soldiers over and over again, long after they thought they had mastered a technique until it was so natural to them that they didn't have to think about it anymore. But what was this thing with Bean? Why had he gone for the smallest, weakest, and possibly the brightest of the boys? Why had he done to Bean what had been done to Ender by commanders that he despised? Then he remembered it hadn't begun with his commanders. Before Rose and Bonso treated him with contempt, he had been isolated in his launch group. And it wasn't Bernard who began that, either. It was Graf. It was the teachers who had done it. And it wasn't an accident. Ender realized that now. It was a strategy. Graf had deliberately set him up to be separate from the other boys, made it impossible for him to be close to them. And he began now to suspect the reasons behind it. It wasn't to unify the rest of the group. In fact, it was divisive. Graf had isolated Ender to make him struggle, to make him prove not that he was competent, but that he was far better than everyone else. That was the only way he could win respect and friendship. It made him a better soldier than he would ever have been otherwise. It also made him lonely, angry, afraid, and untrusting. And maybe those traits, too, made him a better soldier. That's what I'm doing to you, Bean. I'm hurting you to make you a better soldier in every way, to sharpen your wit, to intensify your effort, to keep you off balance, never sure what's going to happen next, so you always have to be ready for anything, ready to improvise, determined to win no matter what. I'm also making you miserable. That's why they brought you to me, Bean, so you could be just like me, so you could grow up to be just like the old man, and me. Am I supposed to grow up like Graf? Fat and sour and unfeeling, manipulating the lives of little boys so they turn out factory perfect, generals and admirals ready to lead the fleet in defense of the homeland. You get all the pleasures of the puppeteer until you get a soldier who can do more than anyone else. You can't have that. It spoils the symmetry. You must get him in line, break him down, isolate him, beat him until he gets in line with everyone else. Well, what I've done to you this day, Bean, I've done.
but I'll be watching you more compassionately than you know. And when the time is right, you'll find that I'm your friend and you are the soldier you want to be. Ender did not go to classes that afternoon. He lay on his bunk and wrote down his impressions of each of the boys in his army, the things he noticed right about them, the things that needed more work. In practice tonight, he would talk with a lie and they'd figure out ways to teach small groups the things they needed to know. At least he wouldn't be in this thing alone. But when Ender got to the battle room that night, when most others were still eating, he found Major Anderson waiting for him. There's been a rule change, Ender. From now on, only members of the same army may work together in a battle room during free time, and therefore, battle rooms are available only on a scheduled basis. After tonight, your next turn is in four days. Nobody else is holding extra practices. They are now, Ender. Now that you command another army, they don't want their boys practicing with you. Surely you can understand that, so they'll conduct their own practices. I've always been in another army from them. They still sent their soldiers to me for training. You weren't a commander then. You gave me a completely green army, Major Anderson, uh, sir. You have quite a few veterans. They aren't any good. Nobody gets here without being brilliant, Ender. Make them good. I needed a lie in Shen to... It's about time you grew up and did some things on your own, Ender. You don't need those other boys to hold your hand. You're a commander now, so kindly act like it, Ender. Ender walked past Anderson toward the battle room. Then he stopped, turned, asked a question. Since these evening practices are now regularly scheduled, does it mean I can use the hook? Did Anderson almost smile? No, not a chance of that. We'll see, he said. Ender turned his back and went on into the battle room. Soon his army arrived and no one else. Either Anderson waited around to intercept anyone coming to Ender's practice group or word had already passed through the whole school that Ender's informal evenings were through. It was a good practice. They accomplished a lot, but at the end of it Ender was tired and lonely. There was a half hour before bedtime. He couldn't go into his army's barracks. He had long since learned that the best commanders stay away unless they have some reason to visit. The boys have to have a chance to be at peace, at rest, without someone listening to favor or despise them depending on the way they talk and act and think. So he wandered to the game room, where a few other boys were using the last half hour before final bell to settle bets or beat their previous scores on the games. None of the games looked interesting, but he played one anyway, an easy animated game designed for launches. Bored, he ignored the objectives of the game and used the little player figure, a bear, to explore the animated scenery around him. You'll never win that way. Ender smiled. I missed you at practice, Eli. I was there, but they had your army in a separate place. Looks like you're a big time now. Can't play with the little boys anymore. You're a full cubit taller than I am. Cubit? Has God been telling you to build a boat or something? Or are you in an archaic mood? Not archaic, just arcane, secret, subtle, roundabout. I miss you already, you circumcised dog. Don't you know? We're enemies now. Next time I meet you in battle, I'll whip your ass.
It was banter, as always, but now there was too much truth behind it. Now, when Ender heard a lie talk as if it were all a joke, he felt the pain of losing his friend, and the worse pain of wondering if a lie really felt as little pain as he showed. You can try, said Ender. I taught you everything you know, but I didn't teach you everything I know. I knew all along that you were holding something back, Ender. A pause. Ender's bear was in trouble on the screen. He climbed a tree. I wasn't, Eli, holding anything back. I know, said Eli. Neither was I. Salam, Eli. Alas, it is not to be. What isn't? Peace. It's what Salam means. Peace be unto you. The words brought forth an echo from Ender's memory, his mother's voice reading to him softly when he was very young. Think not that I have come to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Ender had pictured his mother piercing Peter the Terrible with a bloody rapier, and the words had stayed in his mind along with the image. In the silence, the bear died. It was a cute death with funny music. Ender turned around. A lie was already gone. Ender felt as if part of himself had been taken away, an inward prop that was holding up his courage and confidence. With a lie, to a degree impossible even with Shen, Ender had come to feel a unity so strong that the word we came to his lips much more easily than I. But a lie had left something behind. Ender lay in bed, dozing into the night, and felt a lie's lips on his cheek as he muttered the word peace. The kiss, the word, the peace were with him still. I am only what I remember, and a lie is my friend in a memory so intense that they can't tear him out. Like Valentine, the strongest memory of all. The next day he passed a lie in the corridor, and they greeted each other, touched hands, talked. But they both knew that there was a wall now. It might be breached, that wall, sometime in the future. But for now, the only real conversation between them was the roots that had already grown low and deep under the wall, where they could not be broken. The most terrible thing, though, was the fear that the wall could never be breached, that in his heart a lie was glad of the separation and was ready to be Ender's enemy. For now that they could not be together, they must be infinitely apart, and what had been sure and unshakable was now fragile and insubstantial. From the moment we are not together, a lie is a stranger, for he has a life now that will be no part of mine. And that means that when I see him, we will not know each other. It made him sorrowful, but Ender did not weep. He was done with that. When they had turned Valentine into a stranger, when they had used her as a tool to work on Ender, from that day forward they could never hurt him deep enough to make him cry again. Ender was certain of that, and with that anger, he decided he was strong enough to defeat them, the teachers, his enemies.